Well, this morning as we come to uh, the message and hearing God's word preached, we have a special guest who's going to bring God's word to us this morning. And if you've been here uh, for any length of time, you may know Justin Joseph and his wife, Alyn, and their sons, Ethan and Noah. They've been a part of this church for a number of years, Ethan and Noah for less amount of years, but Justin and Alyn have been here uh, for a number of years. And if you've heard Justin preach before, uh, Justin's one of our deacons um, at this church, and Justin, for his work, studies communication and clear communication But even more than being a clear communicator, God has gifted Justin with the ability to preach. There's something different between just being able to speak clearly and having the gift of being able to proclaim God's word. And Justin has that gift. So I know you're going to be blessed today. And I encourage you to open up your heart and open up your mind to what God has to say to you. So we've welcomed a lot of people to this stage this morning. But if you have one more in you, one more welcome, would you welcome Justin Joseph as he comes to preach this morning? Thank you, Pastor Brian. Thank you, church. It's such a pleasure to be here this morning with you all to worship the Lord together. Let me ask you this question. How many of you are happy to be in the presence of God this morning? You know, you could have chosen anywhere else to be this morning. And if you are visiting with us today for the first time, thank you for being here. I know you could have been anywhere else in the world today. You could have been still in your bed right now. But you chose to come into this place and be in the presence of a living God who hears us, who knows us, and most of all, who loves us. And there is nothing greater than that pleasure and that privilege that we get to enjoy. And I'm so grateful to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to turn our attention to the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay. The verses will be up on the screen right behind me. The gospel according to Mark chapter 4. I'm going to be reading verses 21 through 25. Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. He, that's Jesus, said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. I'm going to read verse 21 one more time. He said to them, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? If you've heard me up here before, you know that I grew up in the state of New Jersey. I say it all the time. I don't know why I'm proud of it, but I say it all the time. (laughs) You shouldn't be proud of it either. (laughs) And where I grew up, about 20 miles from where I grew up, there was a park that was built. A park with a beautiful harbor around it. And about in the 1800s, a statue was erected in the middle of the park. You may have seen pictures of it before. It looks something like this. You have seen it before then. It's called the Statue of Liberty or Ellis Island for those of you who have never seen it before. The Statue of Liberty was just 20 miles from where I grew up. The funny thing is that people, millions of them, four million per year, travel from all over the world, 
thousands and thousands of miles to come and see this statue in the middle of this park that was about 20 minutes from where I grew up. Thousands of miles to see this statue. I grew up 20 minutes from that statue. Do you know how many times I've been to the Statue of Liberty? Zero. Yeah, you think it's a total waste, right? It is. How many of you have seen this site before? The public gardens in Boston, the Boston Common, the swan boats. I work in downtown Boston. For the last six years, I walk by these boats every single day, both going to work and coming back from work. Twice a day for six years. Count that. How many times is that? Don't need to know. But <laughs> thousands of times I've walked by these boats, these contraptions that people stand in line to go on every single day. Do you know how many times I've been on the swan boats? Zero. As you can tell, I live a very fulfilling life. <laughs> but what I'm trying to tell you today, and many of you may have the same experience, you may go thousands of miles to go see amazing sights, but oftentimes take for granted what's right next to you. And the verse that we're learning about today has so much to do with this same topic that we will go out of our way for other things, but for that which is so close to us, we take it for granted. And Jesus is talking to his disciples in this really, really personal and intimate setting. After he had been standing on a boat, preaching to people that were thronged around him on the ocean side, on the seaside, he's preaching to them all day, talking to them about what Pastor Rick talked to us about last week, about the sower and the seeds, about how sometimes we cast seeds on good soil or thorny soil or rocky soil. Jesus had just preached this incredible message to thousands of people, but he spoke it in a parable. And then when he pulls his disciples, his closest followers together, he brings them together and he says to you, do you understand what I just said to them? And the disciples, some of them who are just rock stars in the world of faith and integrity, guys like Peter and doubters like Thomas and betrayers like Judas, they gather around Jesus and they say, Lord, we don't know what you're talking about. So at that moment, Jesus decides to explain to his disciples what is going on and what he's talking about. And what he shares is the verse that we read this morning. The verse that says, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? How many of you have heard this song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. There you go. It's a song that we've sung even from birth, a song about this very verse. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. And oftentimes we think this verse is about, or this song is about me shining, me doing something great, me being wonderful, me being awesome, me being what I'm intended to be. But if you take a little bit of a step back and you look at what Jesus is actually saying to his disciples, if you take a little bit of context around what is happening, you start to realize it's so much more than what I can do or what you can do. It's about what Christ has already done in us. Do you, take, do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? It's about what you know is what ultimately Jesus is saying. It's about what you know ultimately leading to how you shine. A few weeks ago, my family and I, we were driving up to New Hampshire, beautiful Route 16. I was what you would call driving, but according to the state trooper that pulled me over, I was speeding, is what he said. <laughs> I'm very bitter about this, so we won't get into that too much. 
He said that I was going too fast. He pulls me over. Vacation's ruined, obviously, but I'm pulled over on the side of the road. The police officer walks up. Steve, no offense to state troopers. I love them. But he pulls up next to the, the side of my car, asks me to roll down the window, and then he asks that question that there is never a good answer to, that question that I hate. Do you know how fast you are going? <laughs> What's the right answer to that question? There is no good answer. If I say, yes, I know how fast I was going, I get a ticket. If I say, no, I don't know how fast I was going, I get a ticket plus the characteristic of being an imbecile, that I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> but the police officer quickly let me know that I was going 74 in a 55. He said I was going too fast. And I, in my mind, was, was thinking of all these excuses that I could come up with, all these reasons why I should get out of this ticket. But ultimately, it came back to this one fact, and the reason I still have that ticket is because I am responsible for what I was supposed to know. I'm responsible for the fact that I should know that the speed limit posted was 55 on that road. And Jesus is coming to his disciples, pulling them aside and saying, yes, I preach to all the people using parables and stories, but I am giving a hidden, special, unique truth directly to you, and I'm holding you responsible for that truth that I'm giving you. Church, you and I have been given that truth. You and I have been given the most dynamic treasure in the history of this universe. In the history of mankind, you and I have been given the most special treasure that was ever given, and that treasure is found in Jesus Christ. That treasure that says that you know what the truth is. That verse that says you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Set you free. You and I are free today because of the fact that we know Jesus Christ. So many of us have stories to share. There are hundreds of stories sitting in all of these chairs today. Stories of addiction in the past. Stories of lives that were destroyed at one time. Stories of my life, my family that was ruined at one point. But then I found Jesus and everything turned around. How does that happen? How does that actually happen? And Jesus pulls his disciples over and he says to them like this, I have given you a special truth. I have given you a special privilege to know me intimately, to know me personally. And as a result of that, I'm asking you to go out into the world and shine for all the world to see. Church, you and I have been given a very, very special privilege, a very special honor the problem with so many of us, and myself included, is that we come here on a Sunday and everything that is set up to look like a performance in some ways, we in our minds think that this is a performance, that I'm sitting in these seats, there's a stage up here, there are wonderful musicians and singers up here, there's a person preaching up here, therefore I am sitting here to be entertained or sitting here to be informed in some way. Do you know that when we come here, the purpose of the church was never for entertainment or for, for you to come and spend a couple of hours and go back home. The purpose was that you would hear the ever-living truth of God and then take that truth into the world and shine like you were supposed to shine. The problem is that we come here and then we anticipate that I'm going to be entertained, I'm going to be filled, I'm going to be blessed, and then I'm going to go ahead and take that and then like a buffet, come back, empty plate, come back all over again and just, just eat again. That's all I'm doing. 
Church, it's time for us to realize that God designed us with a purpose, just as a lamp has a purpose, that it does not belong under a bed, it does not belong under a bushel, that lamp belongs outside on a stand to bring light into the darkness of this world. That's what we were designed for. A lamp has a purpose, so do you. And that's what Jesus is telling his disciples. Just as a lamp has a purpose, you and I have a purpose. I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, the Christian gospel is one simple fact, that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that he was glad to die for me. Let me say that one more time. The Christian gospel is a simple fact that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. That's the truth that you and I have right now in our possession. The truth that I am messed up, that I am a sinner, that I am a failure on my own, but because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, I am more than a conqueror because he loves me that I am something unique, that I am something special because he loves me and because he gave me the privilege of knowing him. That's why I am a lamp that's set on a stand ready to shine for the world to see. It's amazing how often we walk through life as though we don't have this privilege, as though we don't have access to this knowledge. It's like me walking past the swan boats or like me going past the Statue of Liberty and never visiting it. That's what you and I have become that we have access to this great knowledge, access to this great blessing, but we never use it the way it was meant to be used. Just as a lamp has a purpose, you and I have a great purpose. All these parables that Jesus speaks in ultimately comes down and boils down to this. Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand so that everyone can see it. Everyone can see it. Jesus is making a very simple point very clear. That there is a connection between what you hear and what you know and ultimately how bright you shine. Let me say that again. A connection between what you hear, what goes into your brain, and then what you know and then what you do as a result of what you know. And he's making that connection so clear to his disciples. Be careful what you hear. Consider carefully what you hear. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. He's basically saying, not everyone will get this. Not everyone will understand the hidden truth of this. Many will reject it. Many will, will think that, no, this is too much for me. I want nothing to do with it. But you who have been given access to this truth, you now know what this truth is all about. Consider carefully what you do with that truth now. There is a connection between what you hear, what you know, and what you do with what you know. How bright you shine. We must always be careful about that. I think one of my favorite things to ever hear in all of the, the, the New Testament is how Paul looks at this. The Apostle Paul, who is, as we all know, or as most of us know, the Apostle Paul did amazing things when it comes to what he did in the kingdom of God. More amazing things than probably anyone in history after Jesus. More amazing than them. Because what Paul was able to do was take the gospel of Jesus Christ to basically the entire known world. He was able to witness and evangelize and win people for Christ in an age when no one else was doing it. Paul was able to transform the world in his lifetime. But he also had amazing characteristics and amazing things that were going on in his life outside of, of before he was a Christian. 
Paul says in the book of Philippians, he says, he talks extensively about his background, about his training, about how he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, trained in the best religious schools. He had every reason to boast and to brag, but after all of the bragging that he does, he comes to this verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, what is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider Consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And here's my favorite verse in this section. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering. You know what makes this verse so powerful? If I were to ask you all who knew Christ better than anyone else, wouldn't it be the guy who wrote the most books in the New Testament? Wouldn't it be him? Isn't he more qualified than all of us? But yet after all the things that he says, he comes down to verse 10 and says, of everything that I've accomplished, this I still want. I want to know Christ. So what does that say to us? I'm not Paul. I'm nowhere near Paul. I'm not in his universe And yet he is saying, I want to know Christ. What does that tell you and me, church? I want to know Christ. I want to know him. Because Jesus is saying again to his disciples, there is a connection between what you hear and what you know. If that's the case, when I come here every Sunday, I want to hear about Christ and I want to know about Christ, right? That when I go out into the world, I want to hear about Christ and I want to know about Christ. I want to know him. I want to have a personal, unique relationship with him. It's interesting, he says, I want to know Christ. He doesn't say, I want to know of Christ. He says, I want to know Christ. If you were to ask me, do I know Abraham Lincoln? Do I know Socrates? Do I know Napoleon? Do I know any of these people? I would tell you, yes, I know of them because I know facts about their lives. I know where they were born, when they died. I know what they accomplished in their lives to some extent. But I could tell you, I know of them. But I can't tell you, I know them. If you were to ask me, do you know Alin Joseph? my wife, by the way, if you know her, I wouldn't say I know of her. I would say I know her. Do you see the difference? There is a difference there. Abraham Lincoln, I know of him because I've heard about him. But my wife, I know her because I live with her. I enjoy her company. I spend time with her. I'm invested in her. She's invested in me. We've gone through the ecstasies, the joys, and the the pains and the sufferings of life together in relationship. I've watched her give birth to two babies. Any father who's been in that birthing room knows once you're in that situation, you're pretty much bonded for life after that. <laughs> There's certain things you can't unsee there. You are bonded for life. And that's my relationship with my wife. It's such a close, unique tie that we have with one another. We are joined together. She knows me, I know her. We're in a covenant relationship with one another. I know of Abraham Lincoln, but I know my wife. Paul is saying like this, I've known of Jesus, but I want to know Jesus. I want to know Christ. I want to have an intimate, deep, heartfelt relationship with him. I want to know him, and here's why, and here's how it connects back to the verse we read earlier today. I want to know Jesus for one simple reason, because I cannot shine for him unless I know him. 
I cannot be the lamp that he expects me to be unless I am ready to know him, to understand him. Because here's the truth. You cannot know the purpose of anything unless you know the purpose of the creator who created that something. Isn't that the truth? You cannot know the purpose of anything unless you know the creator and what his mind was thinking when he created that. And that's the simple truth to what we have been set on this earth to do. You and I have been placed here to shine like lamps on this earth. But unless you know the one who created the lamp, you won't really know how to shine for him. You and I have been set apart, unique, different, given access to information, know certain things, we know certain truths so that we can shine. And you and I are called to shine in this earth for the Lord. I cannot know the purpose unless I see it through the eyes of the creator. The problem is so many of us look at life right now and we, we, we struggle through so many situations because we're constantly looking at the world through the eyes of creation and not through the eyes of the creator. Does that make sense? We're looking at life through the eyes of creation, through our own eyes, rather than looking at it through God's perspective and what he is trying to say in this situation. Think about the struggles, think about the arguments and the debates that go on in this world, in this country, in our society right now. Arguments about what constitutes life. Arguments about what constitutes marriage. Arguments about what constitutes the family. These things are constantly being argued and debated, but all because we constantly look at all of them through the eyes of creation. This is how it best benefits me. This is how it best benefits my family, the people that I know, when we rarely, rarely ever look at it through the eyes of the Creator. What does he think about this? What's his view on this subject? He says, if you know me, you will know my heart. This is what our prayer should be, Mount Hope. Lord, let me know you in this year. Help me to know you, not just to know about you, but to have a deep, personal, intimate relationship with you. God, I want to know your heart. God, I want to know your desire for Burlington. I want to know your heart for Belmont. I want to know your heart for my family. I want to know your heart for all the people that I come in contact with every day. If I know that, then I can shine in front of every one of those groups. I first have to know you, Lord God. I have to know your heart. I have to know what you're saying. And the best part of all of this, and this is why it ultimately comes down to a matter of light and death, is because we can know Jesus. And if you are new here today, and if some of this stuff is over your head and not really making sense, it ultimately boils down to this. I can't know certain characters in certain books. I can't know Macbeth and Romeo and Juliet. I can't know... Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, and I can't know Harry Potter. I can't know them because they were designed in the minds of an author and put down in the pages of a book, and I can't know them because they're separated from the book to me. But church, I can know Jesus because he is written about in a book, but more than that, he's alive today, and I can still know him. Do you realize the difference there? I can't know those characters because they don't exist, but I can know my Lord Jesus because he's alive and exists today. There's an empty tomb in Israel somewhere that, te that testifies to this fact that Jesus is alive, and because he's alive, I can know him. I can know him and I can shine for him because he's alive. And that's the privilege that you and I have been given. We can have a relationship with him today because he is alive, because he is living. A story is told of an African man who was once a Muslim who became a Christian. And this man was once asked by his Muslim friends, why would you ever leave our faith to become a Christian? 
And the man says to them like this, it's like two roads were in a forest, and the road forked to one way and the other way. And when you come to the fork, you want to know which way to go. In front of one road, there's a dead man. In front of another road, there's a living man. Who would you ask? It's ultimately down to this simple point. Jesus is alive. Because he's alive, I can know him. Case closed. That's it. I can know him because he's alive. He's not just a character in a book. He's my Lord who lives in my heart. And that makes all the difference in the world. Church, you and I are given this ultimate privilege to be a lamp for Christ. We are given this ultimate joy and this honor because of the simple fact that he is not alive. He's not dead, but he is alive. And that's the privilege privilege that we have. So there's this bushel that we put over the light all the time. This bushel that goes over the lamp that we prevent the lamp from shining. But what are we doing when that lamp is covered? How do we cover the lamp? It seems like an analogy, but how does it really happen? There are many ways that we put a bushel over the lamp that Christ has given us, over the truth that we know. And one of the biggest ways we do that is when our lives stop being about Christ and start being about ourselves. We sang it again today, Jesus be the center of it all. But every day, is that really how we live? Do we live as though Jesus is the center, or is my life, my priorities, my problems, my family, my issues, do those come to the forefront of everything that we do? One of the biggest bushels that we put over the lamp is selfishness. It's about me. But look at the culture we live in. We live in probably the most self-obsessed culture in the history of humanity. We have a word for taking a picture of yourself. Think about that. How self-obsessed are we? We have social media. We have media of all types that ultimately say, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, pay attention to me, look at me, look at me, look at me. But that's not what Jesus has for his church. And sometimes what's happened, it's crept into the church, crept into the lives of believers that we're so obsessed with ourselves, our families, our kingdoms, that we stop building the kingdom of the one who sent us with a purpose. We stop building his kingdom to build our own. That's why so many of us are falling into the trap of paying attention to myself. And it's not just out in the world, it's happening in the church. How many times do you turn on the television every day and there's a preacher up on TV saying, you know, just name it and claim it. Just blab it and grab it. It's all yours. Whatever you want is yours. Whatever house you want, whatever car you want, whatever life you want to live, you can do all those things because that's what Christ designed you for. I say no. No, that's not what Christ designed me for. I say Christ designed me to be the lamp that's set up on a hill that shines for him, not for myself. I'm not here to build my own kingdom. I'm here to build his kingdom. And I cannot do that if I'm focused on myself every single day. I love what, God, what Christ says in the book of John. It says, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus talks about light and darkness a lot. In fact, the verse that we read today is also mentioned in a different form in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and here in John as well in a certain way. All of these gospels keep pointing to this truth that Jesus knows this world is full of darkness and what's the only way to combat darkness but with light? Because you know what? Darkness does not exist on its own. Darkness only exists when the people with light leave the room. Isn't that right? 
Darkness only exists when the people that have access to the light leave the room, and that's when darkness happens. We who have been called as the light to the world, we who have been set apart with unique information are the light, the lamp in this world. In fact, Jesus Christ says like this, I am the light of the world. Doesn't he say that? And then he also says, you are the light of the world. How does that happen? How can he be the light and I be the light at the same time? It's very simple because when he came to do his ministry on earth, he made it very clear. I will do certain things, you know, like die for your sins, but I'm leaving you to go ahead and do the rest so I will place that light inside of you. I will give you the light so that you can shine bright and and lead the entire world to know about this truth that I am giving you. Jesus says, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Let me ask you a question today, church. When people look at you, who do they see? Do they see me and my kingdom and the world that I've built, or do they see Jesus through me? Are they seeing Jesus through you? If, if there's a, a word that says like this, the only Bible that many people will ever read is your life, and you've heard that before, but you have to understand that when someone looks at me, when someone looks at you, are they seeing Jesus or are they seeing me? I want to live my life in such a way. I want to say certain things and and believe certain things and act a certain way. I want to love others so that when they see me, they have no choice but to see the Jesus that lives in me. And that's my purpose. That's my aim. That's why I've been set apart as a lamp on a stand so that others can see Christ through me. I don't think it's a coincidence that I'm on the set of the Church of Scientology today. This thing right here, the moon, the moon does not have any light of its own, does it? It has no light of its own. What does it do? It reflects the sun. So at night when you see moonlight, that's not actually moonlight. It's the sun being reflected off the moon. What a powerful analogy that is. Jesus Christ, the sun, is reflected off of you and I every single day. And the only light that is ever shown in the darkness of this world is you and I reflecting Jesus Christ. The moon has no light of its own. You and I have no light of our own, church. We have no light of our own except the light, the illumination that came from the Son of God dying for my sins and rising again. That light I am ready to shine for others because I reflect the sun. That's all it is. I reflect the sun I've heard it being said about silversmiths, people who, who fashion silver in the fire. They bring the silver, the raw materials of silver, they bring it into a fire, and a silversmith will stay there for hours fashioning that silver, melting it through the fire, and letting it go through the hot purification process of having all of the impurities removed from that silver. They will stay there and stay there in that heat, leaving that block of silver just melting in that, in that hot heat. And if you ask a silversmith, how do you know when you're done? And he'll say, I know I am complete with this piece of silver when I can see my reflection in that silver. And sometimes you and I go through the hot flames of this world and we want nothing to do with God at that time. But if we stop and ask a question, God, why am I going through this tough time right now? Why am I going through this persecution right now? Why am I going through this struggle right now? Sometimes you have to stop and ask, Maybe God is letting me go through the fire so that he can see his reflection in me. Maybe he's letting me struggle a little bit. 
It's amazing how often we will ask God, take away my problems, take away my struggles, remove this suffering from my life, when all along God may be thinking, what can I build through this person if I let them struggle a little bit? How much more endurance can I put in this child of mine if I can let him or her struggle just a little bit? Go through a little bit of suffering. How many of you sitting here, you don't have to raise your hands, are better and closer to God because of the struggles that you went through in your life? I know I am. I know I am. Maybe that's what God is doing. He's letting you reflect the sun by struggling through some of the heat of this life. And yes, one of the biggest bushels we put over the fire is selfishness. How do we focus on myself? How do we focus on myself? But let me move along quickly. What are the other bushels that we put over that lamp? The other bushel is the excuse that we put in our lives that God only uses perfect people. That God using is going to use someone else as a lamp in this world, not me. God, you're going to use someone else. Again, you could not be more wrong. This Bible that you carry or that I carry around, it is full of imperfect people, wrong people, messed up people who ultimately shone their light the brightest for God. Because God is a God who uses your mess-ups so that you can shine even brighter for him. A God who uses all your failures, all your faults, all your issues and struggles, he uses those to reach people with those same issues and struggles. You might wonder, why did I go through those 15 or 20 years of being away from God and doing all kinds of messed up things? And then ask yourself, maybe can I reach another person who's gone through 15 or 20 years of living a messed up life because I went through it? Ask yourself, why does God put me through what I went through? Because God does not use the perfect. Look at his disciples. The 12 ordinary men that Pastor Rick talked to us about last, a couple of weeks ago. Doubters like Thomas. Betrayers like Judas. Hot-headed guys like Peter. These are the guys that Jesus chose. None of them were perfect. All of them had their issues, their flaws, their struggles. But Christ uses those for the glory of his kingdom and to make that lamp shine even brighter. God does not use just the perfect people. He uses messed up people with messed up issues in their life. A verse from 1 Corinthians says like this. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. God chose fools. That's why God chose me, because I'm a fool, and that's why he chose me. God chose you and I because we are fools in this world. But then he said, you know what? I'm going to take the fools and put the most precious knowledge and the most precious treasure inside of them because they know what it's like to mess up. They know what it's like to fail. They will ultimately point back to the sun. That's why he chooses us. He didn't choose us because we're so qualified. He didn't choose us because we're more talented or more significant in the world. He chose us because we're fools, because we're messed up. And he chose us and he puts this knowledge in us and says, go out and shine for the world to see. And that's why God does not use just the perfect. The third bushel that I want to talk about quickly, another bushel that we put over the lamp is this idea that not now, not now, God. I don't want to do it right now. Maybe another time I'll shine for you in another part of my life, in another situation of my life. But again, we could not be more dead wrong. There's so many bushels that we've created just by worrying. We say that, Lord, I can't do this right now because I'm too busy worried about my children. I'm too busy worried about my marriage. I'm too busy worried about the situations I have at work. Too busy worried about my family. I can't do this right now. God is saying like this, if not now, then when? 
Because there will always be something else to worry about for you. There will always be something else to, to think about for you. But at what point will you start thinking about me? Not now is a bushel that we've put over many of our lamps. It reminds me of a time when, back in 2007, I had an opportunity to go to northern India for a couple of weeks. And I remember traveling with my uncle through certain villages in India, very, very remote villages, very few Christians in any of these villages, uh, people with zero education, no, no, no jobs per se, they're farmers and, and, and agricultural people. And we're up in the mountains in different villages visiting with them, and, and at one night we were in the, in the, 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 the patio of a, of a small church building that was there, and it was darkness, pitch darkness, there's no electricity, no lights, and we're sitting on the patio of this church, and sure enough, right next to us is a group of people sleeping, and we had no idea that they were there. It was just that dark. And so one of them wakes up, and we start having a conversation. I did not understand the language he was speaking, so through the interpreter, I understood certain things. This young man, who was sleeping on the porch of that church, started to tell the story of his life to all of us while we're sitting there in the darkness. Mind you, I could not see him. The only reason I know what he looks like, I took a picture of him in the flash for one second, exposed his face, and that's the only way I know what he looked like. This man was telling us a story about how just a few weeks earlier, he and his brothers, who were living in a small hut in a village, were sleeping in their hut one night, and every single night for a couple of weeks, they'd been getting different threats to their lives, different people coming in different extremist groups, religious extremist groups coming and saying, if you don't convert back to our religion, then we are going to make sure that your life is ended here on this earth. And they would persecute these men who had just become Christians recently and constantly tell them, you have to convert back to the religion that you had before. And one night while these three young brothers were sleeping inside of a hut, a group of men called the Naxalites, they're a group of hardcore extremists that are in India that, that came to their door, knocked on the door of their hut, tried to break it down to ultimately give them one more chance to recant their faith and turn away from this new faith in Jesus Christ. The two brothers quickly closed the door and the third brother snuck underneath the hut and ran back into the woods. The two other brothers followed underneath and they ran into the woods and separated from one another. And this man tells us this story that as we were running through the forest, I was praying that we would be okay, that we would be safe. And as I'm running through the forest, I hear a noise. And I turn to the side to see what the noise was. And when I turn back, I see my brother pressed up against a tree with an arrow pierced right through him into the tree. And I quickly stop and I think, should I help my brother or should I keep running? This is a man who came to Christ just weeks earlier. And he says, should I help my brother or should I keep running? That's when I think, let me go find my other brother. Maybe together we can help. But I hear the footsteps of the men who are coming to kill me as well. And he runs and he runs into the forest. He tells us this story and he says, I never saw my brother that was killed. I've never seen my other brother since then as well. This young man hid under the hollowed out trunk of a tree for three days until all the men had passed through the forest and he knew he'd be safe and he ran. And that night that we saw him on the steps of that church, he was still running. He was hiding on the steps of a church so that he could get to the next place. And I kept wondering to myself, this man who had given up so much in his life for just a few weeks of knowing Christ, 
What made him do this? Why not just turn around and say, no, you know what? I don't want to be this Christian anymore. I'll go ahead and follow you guys. I'll help you guys kill other people. I'll do whatever it takes. Why didn't he do that? Because he understood the precious worth of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He understood that knowing Christ is worth more than anything I can have in this world. So he decided that night, I will run, but I will not give up my faith in Jesus Christ. My life is worth a lot to me, but my knowledge of Jesus Christ is worth far more than anything I could have ever done. Church, you and I have come to this point in our lives where we wonder, what is it that Christ is calling us to do? What does he expect of us in this generation? And the question comes down to this. Am I willing to die for the one who called me? Am I willing to suffer for the one who called me? Because the knowledge of Jesus Christ is worth more than my life itself. And that's what this man was saying Sometimes I, I wonder, can I pray this prayer? Lord, can you give me struggles that only you can help me through so that I can trust you more? Let me say that again. Lord, can you give me some struggles that only you can help me through so that I know that I have to trust you more? It's a hard prayer to prayer. Let me be honest, I, I can't pray it. It's tough for me to pray. I don't want struggles in my life. I want my life to be perfect. But this man who was running from the Naxalites, he was saying, it's okay because this life is temporary, but that knowledge that's been put in my heart, that's permanent. That's not going anywhere. I get to enjoy that for 10,000 years and 10,000 years after that and eternity after that. I get to enjoy this because even though my brother is dead, the Lord who saved him is still alive. And that's all that matters. Church, you and I have been given this ultimate knowledge. It's up to you and me. What are we going to do with that knowledge? We can put bushels over it. We can cover up the lamp or we can start to live for Christ and start to shine as a lamp for him. If any of you have ever been to the Great Wall of China, and I know some of you have, the Great Wall of China is this beautiful architectural genius of, of work where this wall has been built across much of China. 4,000 miles it stretches. Some places it's 30 feet high, it's 26 feet thick. The ancient Chinese built the wall in many different places so they could protect themselves from their enemies who would try to invade them. They built this giant wall, this impenetrable fortress that they built around. Do you know in the first 100 years of that wall being built, China was invaded three times, and that wall was breached three times. How did they breach the wall? 4,000 feet long, they didn't go around it. 30 feet high, they didn't go over it. 26 feet thick, they did not go through it. How did they breach that wall? I know you're all thinking right now, how did they do it? They bribed the guards. It was that simple. They bribed the guards and gave them money and walked right into China. What does that tell you? And it has so much to go back to what Jesus is saying to his disciples. It goes back to what Jesus ultimately says. He says, a lamp on a stand is meant to shine for the world to see. And what you hear is so important because what you hear influences what you know. What you know influences how bright you shine. But Jesus leaves us with one other verse in the middle of that. He says like this, to whom much has been given, much will be expected of them. With great power comes great responsibility. The guards of this wall had great, great responsibility, but how did they use it? You and I have been placed in God's camp, have been placed on this earth as lamps to shine for him. My question to you, are we taking advantage of what we know? What are you doing with what you know? This precious, precious gift of the knowledge of Jesus Christ is in your heart, it's in my heart. What are we doing with what we know? The question to us all, 
what are you doing with what you know? Because with great power comes great responsibility. I'm going to move on quickly as time is running out. In that verse that we read before from the Apostle Paul, he says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to participate in the power of his resurrection. Today, there is a resurrection power available for you and I. And if you have never known Jesus Christ, if you've never had a relationship with him, today is the day when you start to say, start to question, God, I'm tired of doing things my way. I don't want to do things my way anymore because it's only got me so far, but I want to start doing things your way because you created me with a purpose and I will never be able to accomplish that purpose unless I know my creator. And today is your chance, church. Today is the opportunity to experience that resurrection power, that life-giving power, that ability to really come up from where you are today, that power that only Christ can give you and I because he defeated death. He overcame the grave. He conquered it. And because of that, you and I have access to resurrection power today. I'm going to invite the music team to come back up this morning. And as we sit in the presence of God today, there is a simple question that should be on your mind. What am I doing with what I know? What am I doing with the information that I've been presented with? Some of us today have gathered in desperate need of resurrection power. That you've been separated from your families and you've been separated from God. You've been separated from a lot of different things that were in your life. That there's this huge void in my life right now. And you've come here today and you're saying, God, unless you provide me with that resurrection power, I have no chance. You see, ultimately, boil down to this, what Jesus was saying to his disciples, what you hear is extremely important because it influences what you know. And what you know is so precious because it shows how bright you will shine for me. What will we do about that? There's a verse that goes on in the New Testament, a verse in 1 Corinthians and it's a verse that talks specifically about this ability to shine. One of my favorite verses that Paul ever talks, that Paul ever writes. In the book of, first, in the book of 2 Corinthians, he writes this verse, and I think I could explain it, but I think Dr. Ravi Zacharias explains it so much better, so I'm just going to steal this straight from him. That when Paul is writing this verse in 2 Corinthians, he knows he's writing to three various groups, three very different audiences. There are the Hebrews that he's writing to, the people of God from way back, the Hebrews that he's writing to. He knows that the Hebrews focus on one thing and they focus the most on light. Lord, you are the light of my life. God, you are my light and my salvation. Light is so extremely important to the Hebrews. Paul also knows he's writing to the Greeks, and to the Greeks, the most important thing was knowledge, wisdom. How can I build up myself and my people through the wisdom that I have? He also knew that he was speaking to the Romans of his day and the Romans focused on glory. How can I focus on the glory of Rome to build up this kingdom that I have? He knew he was writing to these three different audiences. And then he writes one of these most epic, most powerful verses in all of the New Testament. He writes, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. He's saying, Greeks, there's something here for you. Romans, there's something here for you. Hebrews, there's something here for you. There is something in Jesus Christ for all of us today. 
that in the midst of the darkness of my life and your life, Jesus Christ shined the most bright light that we could ever imagine. And because of that, I can have a life. I can have a future. I have a purpose because Jesus did something he never had to do. This morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place today, the question to us, church, what are we doing with what we know? Are we the lamp that is placed under a bushel? Not now, Lord God, not now. The lamp that's placed under the bushel, Lord, I'm not ready to do anything for you at this moment. This is about me. I don't really want to serve you. Oh, God, use perfect people. Are we the lamp under the bushel? Or are we here today to say that, Lord, I am ready to shine for you in a new and more powerful way? And it starts when you say, Lord, I want to know you. We might do something a little different today. I'm going to ask our elders and our pastors to come up to the front one more time. And if anyone here today has this desire to be prayed for, to say, Lord, I want to know you. Maybe it's your first time saying that. And if it is, please have a conversation with one of our elders or pastors or, or find me after the service. If today you are making that decision for the first time, saying, Lord, I want to know you. I'm tired of running my life my way. And please come on up and we'd be happy to pray with you. Or maybe you are here saying, I've made that decision before. But when I look at my life, I realize too often I live for myself. Too often I run after my own kingdom. Lord, I want to know you so that I can build your kingdom. If you want to say that today, then please come up for prayer as well. This altar will remain open as we worship this morning. And as we spend this time in worship, let's think about this. God, I've been running this race. I've been living this life. But at some point, Lord God, I want to run for you. I want to live the way you desire me to live. Because here's the secret of it all, church. Here's what it ultimately boils down to. So many religious leaders have come and gone. They've come and said that do this and you'll make it to heaven or do this and you'll find paradise. They've given you their advice. But here's the bigger secret. They are all still in a grave somewhere. But the Lord Jesus Christ, who let the light of the glory of the knowledge of Jesus Christ shine in our hearts, he is alive today. And that's the biggest difference. I can know him because he's living. This altar will remain open. If you need prayer, please come up to the front. And let's ask the Lord to, light, to shine his light in us and help us to reflect him. God bless you.